Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. Uh, my name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner at Steichman & Elliott. For today's uh, podcast, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Steve Davidicus. Steve um, is an owner, an entrepreneur, a thought leader, an advisor, an investor. Uh, he's been actively involved in the middle market for over 10 years uh, in a variety of capacities. And, and, and I'm excited to have him today uh, joining us to talk about his experience and to talk a little bit about what he's seeing in the market. Um, Steve, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mario. Good to be here. Steve, I'd like to start uh, uh, to talk a little bit about your history. You have a fascinating history, if I can say that, um, in the sense of you've kind of worn multiple hats um, in many capacities. You, uh, many years ago, uh, raised capital, bought a business called Microdia. You then went on to be the CEO of that business for many years, grew it, and really uh, you know, professionalized it in many ways, uh, sold it, uh, you know, had a, a strong exit, uh, for you and your investors. Um, and so I'd like to talk a little bit about that experience, about what drove you there and, and um, I guess what you've learned from that experience. Uh, so maybe we could start there. Yeah, sure. I think that was a, a reasonable summary. Um, the early parts of my career were spent in private equity investing, investing in much larger companies than ultimately I work with now. Um, but early in my career, I, I had quite an entrepreneurial itch that I knew I had to scratch. I had to scratch at some point, and you know, at the risk of oversimplifying it, um, I considered many options at the time. I could become a founder and start a business from scratch. I could join a, a startup in its kind of nascent stages, or when I came when I came to learn about the search fund investment vehicle during my two years in business school, it struck me as a really kind of elegant solution. Um, to bridge where I had been as an investor and take me to where I wanted to be as an entrepreneur and an operator. So ultimately, I, I bought my way into an entrepreneurial career by virtue of a, the search fund investment vehicle, which I know you're very familiar with. So I raised uh, capital as I was graduating uh, from business school in 2012, uh, searched for about a year and a half and purchased Microdia from its original co-founders who were a father and son combination that had founded the business in the mid-90s after uh, immigrating to Canada. Uh, I ran that business as its CEO for about seven years. Um, and you know we were fortunate enough to, to grow the business uh, pretty substantially from a uh, revenue and headcount perspective. Um, it was a software business that we uh, transitioned from a license maintenance revenue model to a subscription revenue model and a on-premise uh, software deployment uh, platform to a multi-tenant SaaS platform, which uh, I have the scars on my back to prove it. And, and it's something that I've discussed a little bit publicly, but we were able to do that as well. And uh, in late September, early October last year in 2020, we uh, sold the business to a, a private equity owned strategic. That was a, um, uh, essentially a competitor of ours. Uh, and since then, uh, since selling that business, I, I listened very closely to a lot of mentors of mine and folks who have sold businesses before. And I, I asked for their advice and what they would do over again if they got the opportunity to do so. And interestingly, one of the unanimous pieces of advice that I got was take at least a year off. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very glad that I listened to that wise counsel because that's exactly what I've been doing. And um, 
it's been uh, it, it's been a really wonderful experience, especially after kind of running so hard for for so many years. And so uh, now, what I'm doing is um, I am, you know, really just looking for a way to help entrepreneurs and CEOs running small and medium sized businesses in any way that I can. Um, I'd like to help folks in a way that I was helped by very few and in a way that I was not helped, frankly, by most. I think being an entrepreneur and a CEO of a small and medium-sized business is incredibly hard and candidly, nobody knows what it's like to be a CEO or an, entre or an entrepreneur unless you've been one. And there are parts of that journey that I don't think are discussed frequently enough. Um, and so what I do now is um, just on the side, I mean, this is not I, there's no financial incentives or anything like that for me to do this. I just enjoy doing it. Uh, I write a blog and host a podcast, both of which are called In the Trenches, and it speaks directly to entrepreneurs and CEOs running SMBs. And we talk about, you know, tactical things from, you know, building and managing a sales team to hiring best practices. But I think most importantly, we talk about managing yourself as an entrepreneur and CEO, how to manage the highs and lows, how to think about different challenges, how to think about family issues. Um, and it's all coming from either mistakes that I made, um, of which there are many things that I did that worked well. It's probably a shorter list. Uh, and then learning from other entrepreneurs and CEOs and investors in the space. And the view is just to be helpful. There's no, like I said, there's no monetary incentive or anything like that. If, if I can spend my time off helping some folks, that, that seems like a good way to spend time. Can I ask you, Steve, I mean, um, if I could... You kind of hit on something that I think people, you said it very well, people don't talk about enough, which is the, 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 the trench, uh, the trenches for entrepreneurs and C CEOs. People sometimes think that the uh, end story is all, all roses, but it's only roses at the end. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, you had mentioned when you look back at your experience, uh, you know, the, what you learned, uh, what you'd say was surprised you the most. Some, some of the, as you said, you know, the things that you brought that you kind of added value to and the things that surprised you or that, you know, you, you wish you had known that earlier kind of things. You can only in the trenches discover yeah. it. I wonder if you could flesh that out a little bit more. Cause I think that it's something we often don't, don't, I mean, we don't talk about enough. And I know one of the things that's fascinating about your blog and your podcast is you're talking about uh, experiences in the market that frankly, very few people talk about at all. Uh, and so it's most makes it super interesting and, and, and rewarding, frankly, for, for people who are in the market. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, um, ultimately, as an entrepreneur and CEO, managing yourself is both the most personal and the most important part of the job, in my experience. And there are a couple things that, you know, people understand academically about being a CEO or entrepreneur, but they don't quite understand it unless they've been through it. I mean, some of the things that come to my mind immediately are, you know, the loneliness factor. I think the phrase, it's lonely at the top, exists for a reason. Um, you know, as a CEO, I found, and I know others have found that there's not that many people you can talk to that truly understand, you know, the uncertainties and the pressures that you face. Um, so for example, in my case, I was hesitant to bring problems to my board of directors because ultimately they were my boss and I didn't want them to think that I didn't have things handled. I was hesitant to bring things to my friends and family because, well, they just wouldn't understand. I was hesitant to be vulnerable with my employees about problems facing the business or problems facing the industry because I didn't want to scare them off and have them all 
kind of polishing off their resume. So sometimes as a CEO and entrepreneur, it feels like there aren't that many places to turn, um, which is why I think it's important for us as CEOs and entrepreneurs to at least kind of talk to each other about it. Um, because as you said, from an external perspective, you know, even if you were to read my story, everything looks glossy and easy. But as, as they say, I think there's a saying that says every overnight success is at least 10 years in the making. Right. And that, that's, that's pretty consistent with, with my experience and, and with most, it's, it's very far from a linear upward and right trajectory. Um, so those were, you know, a couple things that come to mind. Um, I think, you know, codifying and living you know, your values, both as a company and as a CEO is, uh, is incredibly important. I think the idea of asking for help kind of in any way that you can get it is something that I was unwilling to do as a rookie CEO. And it took me many, many years to realize the value of help, whether it is a CEO peer group or a CEO coach, um, or a professional therapist, or really kind of anyone who has any ability to kind of help you because what I came to learn with experience, and of course, if I could advise younger CEOs, is this concept of, you know, kind of no successful CEO, or at least very, very few successful CEOs are successful alone. Uh, behind every uh, CEO that, that you admire is likely a team of helpers, advisors, peers, mentors. Um, so. I would advise CEOs, and I, and I always do, to seek out help in any way that they can get it, because um, ultimately it's going to make them a better version of themselves. One of the things I, I, I've known you for a long time, Steve, and I, I've seen the journey you took uh, with Microdia, and, and particularly you talked about it briefly at the beginning, which was really the transformational change that you brought to that company. And, you know, it was transformational change of a tech company uh, that kind of had been doing things only one way um, for basically all of its, its history. And I wanted to, to talk a bit about that if we could, because I mean, in, in essence, the value you created in that business to me was, was, was built on that, that transformational change that you took. Mm -hmm. You were alone and you were, um, you know, you put it all on the line, I guess. And, and in the end, of course, it turned out great because that's what created the value in the business. But, um, you know, to me, those kind of decisions happen behind the scenes for CEOs and entrepreneurs. They're often the ones that people don't see, but, you know, the, the, the risk reward factor or the, you know, the fundamentals that, that, that are often <laughs> only visualized at the end. And maybe talk a bit about, how you came to the decision-making process to really transform that business and kind of how you drove it. Cause I think it'd be fascinating for people to hear um, how you, how you, how you basically created the, the, the value story behind that business by the change that you brought. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think as a rookie CEO at the time when I bought the business in uh, January, 2014, you know um, at the risk of putting it into a, simple little soundbite. I was looking for a business that had enough right with it and enough wrong with it. Um, enough right with it because I was a rookie CEO and it was a given that I was going to make a lot of mistakes, um, but enough wrong with it that there were actual kind of value creation opportunities. Um, and so, you know, this was a company that had been run by its founding entrepreneurs who were technical in nature, which is pretty common at this end of the market for, you know, two decades. And as a result, 
um, you know, the business had done many things in a singular way for a very, very long time. And part of the um, beauty of getting a young, high energy CEO or entrepreneur is you just look at everything through a completely different set of eyes, which, which creates its own challenges, but certainly has its own benefits. So, you know, this sounds tired and cliche, but I suppose it's cliche for a reason, which is ultimately like a software company, what is it, right? It's IP, computers, and people. Um, and so it really started with the people. I would say, you know, it's generally understood among investors that a certain group of people generally take you, let's say, from zero to five million. You know, generally speaking, a different group of people take you from, let's call it five to 20. And then generally speaking, a completely different group takes you from 20 to 100, right? These are just kind of round numbers, but but you know what I what I'm getting at. So look, we had a lot of turnover. Um, you know, when I bought the business in 2014, it had um, around 30 employees. Uh, when we sold it, it had uh, north of 70. And of the original 30 employees, there were maybe a handful that that remained. Um, you know, we tried our best to hire people who were good fits for who we wanted to be as a company, not necessarily who we were. Uh, at any given time when we were making the hire. Uh, culture was was a big part of what we did. Myself and my management team spent an enormous time building a, a culture that people wanted to be a part of. Uh, building up the management team was, was very important. A lot of these smaller businesses tend to be quite founder-centric, uh, which presents key man risk and different things that you can do when you acquire that business. Uh, but we built the management team from zero in 2014 to seven by the time that we sold it. Um, and not only did that help the business, it also helped me personally because, you know, as a CEO, you do not want to become the bottleneck that um, slows the, the growth of the business down. Um, and then, I'm, you know, again, I, I could talk for the next week about the changes that we made, but to try to keep it short, I would say as like a general theme um, businesses in this end of the market tend to kind of grow up saying yes to everything, which is a, a generalization, but I would say true more often than not. And you understand why when you're, when you're building a business from scratch, you know, at the risk of saying it, you kind of just take money from wherever you can get, wherever you can get it. Um, and that's okay when you're building a business from scratch. But once you start scaling, you know, that that's not a sustainable way to run a business. So frankly, what we did um, at a thematic level is we started saying no to a lot of stuff. We said no to certain customers who uh, weren't in alignment with the product that we wanted to build. Uh, we said no to product and feature requests. Um, actually, when I bought the business, we served five different end markets. By my second year, we fired over 20% of our customer base to focus only on a single end market, which was transportation logistics. Uh, so we said no to a lot of stuff. Um, and originally that was a little bit scary, both for myself and for the employees, but ultimately the returns to focus far outweighed the risks uh, of doing, doing quote, less. If, if I can ask Steve for one last uh, point on this, because I think it's, it's, uh, it's a really compelling part of your story. You also changed the revenue model head on. You, yes. you basically transformed, which I found fascinating at the time. And I wonder if you could just briefly talk about that. And, and obviously it was it was the the work involved in changing the revenue model yeah so you know older software companies of which mine was one uh, tended back in the day to have a revenue model um, dictated by one-time upfront uh, perpetual licenses so 
to use simple numbers. Mar, you, you buy a piece of software for me, you pay me $100 today, and you can use it forever and ever. Um, as most of us know, the market has evolved considerably since then to a more subscription-based revenue model. And when I bought the company, um, it was indeed selling those one-time purchases. Um, and we changed it. Uh, in retrospect, I wish I would have made that change sooner than I did. But nonetheless, after a little bit, we transitioned the revenue model. You know, I think what a lot of people don't necessarily understand is just how difficult that is to do. Uh, the entire business, including the entire cost structure, was built on top of a revenue structure that presupposed these giant upfront one-time purchases. Uh, but when you s uh, substitute that with a subscription revenue stream, you know, both your revenue and by association, your profitability fall off a cliff. Um, and operators and investors in this space kind of jokingly refer to that as, as the valley of death or the J curve, which is the curve that your revenue and profitability profile face for generally the first one to three years when you make that change. So puts a lot of pressure on cash flow, a lot of pressure on EBITDA, you know, basically eviscerates revenue growth. But you do all of this because, you know, a dollar of subscription revenue is worth at least, you know, five times or more a dollar of one-time perpetual use license revenue. And so, you know, really you have to just kind of survive that valley of death. Um, and if in so doing, uh, you, you, you can create a lot of value. So uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't finish, uh, if I can use that word, the transition by the time we sold, but we were certainly a good chunk of the way in there and created a lot of operational challenges that I think, you know, only those who have been through it can can sympathize with. But uh, yeah, it was an important thing to do, something that we had to do. But, uh, you know, for sure, it was a difficult transition. And ultimately ended up turning out to be a, an, an incredibly successful exit, uh, Steve. I, I know you've seen a lot over the last I'm going to say 10 years, you're now living in a market, obviously, with COVID and everything else that's going on. I am curious to get your thoughts, uh, given your perspective from all the angles, both owner, entrepreneur, investor, thought leader, on what you're seeing out there now. And so it would be great to get your perspective on the current market that we're in. And ultimately, I'm going to ask you the crystal ball question. I might as well now, which is where do you think this is all going? Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of this probably won't be new information to anybody, but I mean, in today's market, it, it goes without saying that it's incredibly frothy. I mean, uh, the valuations that we're seeing on transactions that are actually being consummated, you know, sometimes I have to kind of rub my eyes and look twice at the screen because they are, um, the valuations are very, very robust. I mean, everybody knows there's a lot of capital sloshing around out there looking for places to put it. Uh, borrowing rates have been low um, for an incredibly long time, which I think is, is driving a lot of this. Um, you know, I am quite kind of unapologetically at the probably the smaller end of the lower middle market, which I would, you know, just kind of loosely, maybe arbitrarily define as, you know, call it 30 million or less of revenue. Um, that, that's kind of the sandbox that I play in. You know, I'd say that the the story that's kind of been there for the past, you know, at least decade has been the generational wealth transfer uh, between, you know, the baby boomer generation and the subsequent generation. I think, you know, that story still has legs. Um, we will, you know, once we're out of this, be looking at the largest uh, generational wealth transfer in human history. And these businesses kind of have to go somewhere. So I think that that 
does remain a tailwind uh, for the industry. Um, I've noticed that the buyer pool, the investor pool is, is growing. Um, it used to be the story that, you know, companies at, at this end of the market, particularly those located in Canada had fewer and fewer exit options, hence why vehicles like search funds, you know, could be attractive. Candidly, I think that's becoming less true. Um, I think though there are elements of it that remain true, I, I think there's a lot of exit options, at least relatively speaking, relative to perhaps you know five years ago, there are institutions, there's individuals. Uh, I would say I've, I've noticed private equity going lower and lower into the market, you know, in the interest of you know, deploying their capital. Um, I'm now seeing family offices have direct ownership stakes in these types of businesses. So I'd say the buyer pool is increasing from a buyer's perspective. You know, that's probably, um, you know, raising valuations among other dynamics, you know, from a seller's perspective, obviously you love to hear that. And that that's probably being reflected in deal terms a little bit. So maybe fewer earnouts, fewer seller notes, you know, more cash, smaller escrows, things like that. Um, so look, the market continues to be super robust in terms of what's going to happen. Um, Look, your guess is as good as mine, man. I, uh, <laughs> if I could forecast that stuff, I'd be on an island in Bermuda somewhere. But um, look, it's um, it's a really interesting market. It's a really interesting place to be. I, I find these types of businesses are much more compelling for me because either as an operator, an entrepreneur, as an investor, you can make very real, very meaningful changes um, that are very visible and have a profound impact on the company. Whereas I found in my experience with larger businesses, that feels less true, um, which is less appealing to me. So it's it's an exciting kind of time to be in this market. I'm happy that kind of I'm in here in, in any capacity that that I can be. Um, it's you know at the risk of saying it, it's it's going to be very interesting to see you know where we are in another kind of two years from now. Steve, I want to I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it was. Fascinating to hear from you, both both from the owner, the entrepreneur, the thought leader perspective, the investor's perspective, all all tied into one. And really appreciated having you join us today as a guest. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.